coming up in one minute. How did the, the idea come from you, for you guys to come to Texas? Uh, man, it really came from uh, mostly dad, like his record collection and all the shit we were listening to growing up. Chris immediately, like the way we first moved to town, Cody called Chris. Like I, we were living in an attic <laughs> in South Austin above the house that we would eventually move into. But like for the first six or, I don't know, five or six weeks, we were living in an attic. Y'all had to move down to move up. For 200 bucks, <laughs> we lived in somebody's attic when we first got to town. With a V. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like had all our shit popping on the A-frame. The you had to walk in <laughs> <Yeah>. the middle. <laughs> that Those those Lucy shows, like that's that set it off. Like all of a sudden, it was kind of like, I don't even know why, but it was the place to be on Monday nights, you know? And Well, yeah. And the word started getting around. It was back in those days when like the Chronicle would say something and people would pay attention to it or like Chris Wall would tell Bruce Robeson and he would tell somebody else. And, you know, all of a sudden there was like this thing mm -hmm. that we had like for, I don't know, two or three years, like Lucy's Monday nights was... And from there on the weekends, you were getting booked from Dave, from Davis Square. No, like, no. Tag Around Podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas, and Willow Park, Texas, Fort Worth. Visit LoneStarDryGoods.com for more information. Welcome to the Jacking Around Podcast, available on your favorite audio platforms and in video on YouTube. Links and info, visit JackingAroundPodcast.com. I'm show producer Matt Pivotone. Welcome to the Jackin' Around Show, hosted by two-time ACM award winner and your host, Jack Ingram. Today, Jack welcomes the lead singer of Reckless Kelly, Willie Braun. Check the description to learn more about Reckless Kelly, Willie, Jack, and the show. We are excited to announce next Wednesday, November 17th, Jack welcomes Steve Warner. Last but not least, help us spread the word by giving us a big old five-star review. Without further delay, here's episode 15. <laughs> So how you been, Willie Braun? Good. Are we rolling? Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Just like to know before I start. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to realizes. Jacking Around with me and Willie Braun today from Reckless Kelly and from Braun Brothers and from Muzzy. What's your, what's your mom's name? Joanne. Muzzy and Joanne, the, yep. the hosts with the most. They are uh, pretty mosty. <laughs> That party I'll throw at Brown Brothers Reunion is pretty great. It's great, right? Yeah. So you've done it twice, right? Yeah, but I, I've done the the reunion twice, but I uh, this is the first time I went out to the house. Oh, yeah. That was uh, – that that the Sunday party after the reunion is like, it's the best day. It's like – and I hate to say this on the air because, like, the fans are like, well, I want to go. But, like, it's, it's just for the artists and the people that help us put it on, the volunteers and all of our friends that are, like, on the staff and yada, yada. And so there's a – you saw it. It was a, well, a smaller circle, and we get to all kind of – everybody except mom, we get to relax, and she's still worried about making sure the – the pickle fork is set on the right side of course of but it's so fun man it's such a family yeah i mean i i'd, I'd always heard ingram you gotta stay but you know me oh yeah i'm, I'm usually way. i'm usually in and out dude if we're on the road and somebody's like oh come to the family barbecue back like, no thanks <laughs> y'all have <laughs> no fun offense, but uh yeah it sounds great but we got we got shit to do but that, that's kind of an exception to the rule i think there's a lot of guys that stick around for that one well now that i've now that i have stuck around for it I will every time, you know, because it's really you get an insight into your family and into why y'all are so close, and just how cool 
your dad's down there burning yeah. shit on the barbecue. He does the ribs and he does them individually, like which as a cook myself, like I when I cook ribs too and do the same exact technique, but I cook them in like full slabs or half slabs. Like a rack, yeah. Yeah, a rack of ribs. And so, you, you know, you've got like six racks of ribs, you flip them all over one or, you know, six times. Yeah. He cuts them all into individual things. So <laughs> it's like, he's got to do it a hundred times. <laughs> and, he's, and he's got everything sauced up already. And yeah. The I was down there. Trying to mess with it, trying to BS with him. And he was having none of it. He's like, if you're going to be down here talking to me, get to work. And handed me some tongs. And yeah. I was like, yes, sir. That's kind of his deal. He, he'll lure you in with like the smell. And if they walk by to, to say hello and be like, oh, hey, what you got going on, Muzz? And then all of a sudden, he's sitting there with an apron on and some tongs and a really the slather mop. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. But it's good. It's a, it's a fun party. I mean, it's a great concert. That's a good one. Y'all should be really proud of how many how many years have y'all done it? Well, my brothers and I have been involved for I think like five. Like in my Cody, Gary, and Mickey got involved probably five years ago when mom and dad were like getting to the point where they were like, This is a little too much for us to handle anymore. And so So they, did it uh, used to just be called Braun Family Reunion? It's always been the Braun Brothers Reunion. Like this version of it, like it's kind of a long story. So like before the Braun Brothers Reunion, Dad used they always did concerts. Like they would do um the Stanley Stomp, which is way back in the day, like in the 70s, or or the Braun Brothers uh Idaho swing dance competition, which is an actual swing dance competition. Oh wow. Where they would and so have, M- like, Muzzy had brothers. You have uncles that were in, yeah, yeah. in the music. And that was the original Braun Brothers. They call themselves the original Braun Brothers now because the OG. Yeah, because we came along. <laughs> so they had to do- <laughs> differentiate between the two <laughs> they're the original Brown brothers but they were back in the day and they would do the uh the Brown brothers swing dance contest and it was like uh well exactly what it sounds like there's you know a bunch of swing bands yeah they would sign up and it would be like they would some of them were like matching uniforms and shit and they would like do, poodle skirts and shit yeah. well uh, man, not poodle skirts but like you know the matching jean i got gotcha. <laughs> you the idaho and, version of the swing yeah, yeah or, <laughs> Well, most of them were probably handmade and shit, but you know, like they would come up and they would do like their swing dancing routine and they would have numbers like on their back, like a rodeo. Like, oh yeah. You know, like the swing dancing competition. And that was back, like I would say maybe late seventies, but probably more like early eighties. And so Stanley stomped to the swing dance competition to some other stuff that, that dad did back in the day with his brothers kind of morphed into the Braun brothers reunion, which started in in my mind, you know, and I'm kind of the historian of the family. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say it started in 1987 in Stanley, Idaho, because the original Braun Brothers reunion, which people on the, the podcast can't see the, the air quotes, but. Yeah, they can. It's a reunion. Oh, yeah. We're on <laughs> good. Sweet. <laughs> Glad I look so good. Today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you no. look so much different than every other time I see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is my camera face. <laughs> um, but no, they they started doing the Braun Brothers reunion was it was going to be like a one time thing because Dad and his brothers started playing um, in high school in like eighty no not eighty uh, sixty seven. About to 60, say it was sixty seven or sixty eight. 
And uh, they had a band called The Syndicate. And so they'd been playing for 20 years at that point. Which was I like, love it how you guys are all brothers and you all play, but you never really used the Braun Brothers as a band name. We haven't done it yet. Yeah. And we might. I mean, even your dad, the syndicate, instead, he's yeah. playing with his brothers. Well, no, he had a band called the Braun Brothers back in the day. Oh, he did? Yeah. Him and his brother Gary were the Braun Brothers. Gotcha. When his brother Billy had, they had already, like, had, you know, Billy peeled out early on. He was like, <laughs> fuck this shit. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. Did he and take so, a straight job or something? No, no. He's probably the best musician in the family. Like, he played his own deal. Billy Braun or the Billy Braun band, which is one guy. He does like a, a one-man band. I love show. those kinds he, of... He has like the, the harmonica rack with three harmonicas on it. You know, oh, he's got this... Yeah, like three different keys. that just stays on, and he has like a kick drum and a snare drum, one of which I sold him when I was like 10. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and so he's like a kind of thing and, uh, and plays harp, and he's a fantastic guitar player, and he plays... Uh, Mostly like old big band stuff. Like oh, wow. Bang so like Crosby and real chords. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, real chords. <laughs> like he knows the real Like chords. swing chords. Yeah. And- he's he's undoubtedly undisputed the, the, the best musician in the band or in the family. I mean. Yeah. So Sing anyway, about those passion yeah, chords. So and- naturally, dad kicked him out. <laughs> <laughs> you were getting too big for your britches. <laughs> right. Actually, I honestly don't even know how that all happened. Like why Billy peeled out. From him and Gary, but uh, at some point, Billy went and did his own solo thing, and then Dad and Gary formed the Braun Brothers, which were Dad on acoustic guitar and Uncle Gary on drums and harmonica. <laughs> right, drums and harmonica. <laughs> yeah, drums, like uh, guitar and harmonica, and no bass, and they were pretty popular. The original the White day. Stripes, yeah. exactly. They were like <laughs> the Jack White <laughs> of Idaho back in the day, which when I was a kid. I always thought it was weird because we were playing uh, in dad's band. Like a lot of times Mickey wouldn't play bass or Mickey wasn't even available. So it would be me playing drums, dad playing guitar, acoustic, and Cody playing fiddle. And dad singing and Cody and I doing harmony and stuff. And it was- It's amazing how that kind of starts to work out once you figure out what the sounds are. Yeah. And I would like- where the holes are. And the kick drum and stuff, you know, because like it didn't take me long to figure out that something was missing. (laughs) And it was the bass. Right. So we did a lot of gigs without bass. You know who does that now is Ray. Ray Wiley? Mm -hmm. Really? He does he does he goes without a bass. And sometimes Kyle, his most times drummer, Kyle Snyder, um, sometimes he'll do a like a he's got a pad up there that if you hit that you can hit the like a like, a, like a bass note or like a big kettle drum type something of something like that you know what well, it's it has notes but it's not i don't think it's a foot pedal i think mm-hmm. it's a it's a trigger it's funny because like once you get used to it and you're not missing it you know as far as like the no bass band right it's fine yeah right? like if you started like a song with the bass and then you take it away, like, yeah, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, re- I remember the very first that time I ever played with a bass player and that feeling of like, oh, this is like, air just came underneath us. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you take it away, you're, you're going to miss it. And if you have a bass player who's not familiar with the, the tunes, that can be, you're going to notice it. That can be pretty <laughs> you know, ugly. Because like, that's one of the heaviest members of the band that gets overlooked a lot of times. Well, I've always thought that yeah. I remember when I first started playing and, and watching bands and kind of 
when I was starting out as a my own band leader, and I'd be dissecting other people's bass, other people's members, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, "Oh, the whole idea of the bass is that you, if you notice him, he's not playing it right." Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like playing rhythm guitar. Yeah, same exact deal. You don't notice it until it's gone, right? Or shitty, or if it's bad. <laughs> if you notice yeah. the bass player, something's gone terribly yeah. wrong. Can I say shitty on this podcast? You can say whatever you fucking, want. Fucking a. <laughs> I mean, except fucking a. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got a red button. <laughs> so, so this is all. This whole Braun family legacy has always been up in the Northwest, in Idaho. Yeah, pretty much. My, my uh, grandfather, uh, you know, as far as back as I can trace the musical aspect of shit, was um, was from North Dakota, Musty Braun. Oh wow! And he played accordion. It's uh, he was Lawrence Welk's second cousin or third cousin or first cousin or something. So you're related to royalty. We're we're like third cousins with Lawrence Welk somehow. <laughs> You'd have to get shout out to Lyle Lawrence Welk to figure that one out. But like they were in that same like neck of the woods up there, and so uh, Grandpa Musty, whose real name was Eustatius, <laughs> played. Dude, he should have kept Eustatius. <laughs> I know, it's badass, right? If I ever have a kid, <laughs> Euster. <laughs> so he played accordion, and uh, and at some point moved to Idaho from uh, North Dakota. How far? Over, how many states over is North Dakota? It's uh, just just gotta get through Montana. That's still not, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's That's too long, too long states, big ass western states. Seems yeah. like further away than it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like driving from Texas to Florida. Basically, did you know that it takes longer to get from Texarkana to El Paso than it does from El Paso to LA? Really, I believe that. Just a fun little <laughs> fact here <laughs> when we moved down to Texas, we got to El Paso because we were coming through LA like when the band first started out, and we were driving two rigs. We had a, a suburban and somebody's pickup, mm -hmm. and uh, we were, you know, caravan. did you have all your shit, all oh, yeah. your stuff, all of our shit? Like it was just you and. Cody? No, it was me, Cody, Jazz. No, Jazz wasn't with us, actually. He was back in uh, North Carolina finishing school, <laughs> which he <laughs> never did. Uh, Casey, our original guitar player, and Shifty, the old bass player. Oh, I remember Shifty. And I think did, it was just the four. Did something happen to Shifty? Uh, not really. <laughs> I've seen, I think I've seen him working in somewhere. He's I, out I, in Oregon. We haven't seen him in a while. But, you know, if okay. he's out there, if you're listening, Shifty. Shifty, we miss you. Drop a line. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love shit. I mean, we don't want you back in the band or nothing, but <laughs> well, well, the position's <laughs> full. But <laughs> no, but we came through uh, our last gig before we moved to Texas. We played the LA County Fair like five or six days in a row, like one of those three shows. Oh, the three shows. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> God, I don't Good miss times. those. <laughs> I do not miss those, brother. And I think that's the first time we ever met you was we were doing one of those two shows a day deals and we played and then you played and then we played and then you played. Where were day. we? It's somewhere in Oregon. A long time. Oh, was the Oregon my, State Fair. Yeah. Don Williams was playing that time, I think. Yeah. yeah and we, we um, I think that was the first year we had moved to Austin and, and had like toured outside of Austin. Yeah. And we knew who you were. And, uh, and we played a show on the same stage. Like we do like... Our 40-minute set. <laughs> and then we took all of our shit off. And you guys set up and played. And then you took your shit off. We set our stuff back up. And then 
vice versa. Like, and that's the first time I remember meeting you. And I'm glad you kind of maybe remember that because, like, I was like almost like like maybe I made that up. No, but I'm pretty sure we did that. I remember it, and that was shit. Like. 25 at least years ago. That would have been 97, 98. Yeah. yeah something right like there. that. Yeah. Cause that's when I that's when I, I remember doing all all those. We did the same thing at the Minnesota State Fair. Those three sets. Yeah, the goddamn three sets a day. And then there's like a bubble glum blowing contest <laughs> yeah. between your set or a, or a polka band or some Chinese acrobats. I call it, I call it we were on the puppet stage. Yeah. Like the puppet show stage. <laughs> told him once i told him a thousand times <laughs> <laughs> reckless kelly first puppet show last that's right don't ever follow a puppet show um, so hold on what, what was the reason y'all that you like how did how did the, the idea come from you for you guys to come to texas uh, man it really came from uh mostly dad like his record collection and all the shit we were listening to growing up like we always listened to um you know, Guy Clark and Robert Earl and Rodney Crowell and Steve Earl and a lot of that stuff. Like all these guys that like when we were starting our own thing, guys that were really heavy influences on us. And we moved to Oregon. Now, those influences, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but and I haven't heard Muzzy play that often. But the, those those influences don't really show up. He's he's much more of a cowboy yeah singer. like those weren't dad's like influences those were ours like he kind of turned us on to those guys his guys were like he grew up like i said he was playing in a 60s rock and roll band like so they were all into the beatles and the stones and you know herman's hermits and that shit right um and then at some point he got into country music and he discovered like jerry jeff and uh you know, later on, Robert Earl. He was always a big, like, Bob Wills fan. I was about to say, his influences to me yeah. feel like way cowboy, more, cowboy way poetry. More yeah. Yeah, and the cowboy poetry is a great example because, like, the guys that he would hang out with and Elko at that cowboy poetry thing, guys like, uh, man, Red Steagle and, mm -hmm, and that kind Don, of stuff. Don Edwards and Baxter Black and cats like that who were kind of musicians too but also poets and stuff. Yeah. That was always way on that side of the country thing. Mm -hmm. But he grew up with like rock and roll, you know. So when we were kids, we had like Chuck Berry records and and the Everly Brothers and yeah, man, and Beach Boys and shit like that. But uh, but he was always like, I remember having a conversation with Dad at one point, like a year or two before we left the band, where I was like, Man, I want to like, can we do some rock and roll? And he was like, Yeah, I already did that shit. You know, like we're kind of doing country now. And I can, <laughs> we've got our thing. You know, it's not going to really work if we. How go old out. were you when you're talking to him about this? Like fifteen, probably. Yeah, because like, I started listening on, to dude. rock and roll when I was like thirteen or fourteen. Because like we didn't listen to any rock and roll growing up, like other than like old shit. Like uh, we listened to Chuck Berry and like, the Everly Brothers, right? Like stuff. rock and roll, rock, rock and roll, rock and roll. Yeah, but we didn't like at that point when we were kids. It was like the the hair bands and. You know, Def Leppard and Twisted Sister and shit. So when you, know, you were 14, 15 years old, what year was that? Uh, like 92 or something. Yeah. yeah. 92, 93. Wait, you, so you were born in 78. I'm yeah. not real good at math. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 78. So at that point, it was probably like, yeah, man. I don't know, 14, 15 when I started listening to rock and roll. And I kind of almost had to like sneak it in, you know, like, cause it was like, we didn't listen to rock and roll. It wasn't like for, Bidden or anything, but it was like it culture. was made fun of and stuff because it was all the hairband shit. Rat and, and it was poison. Like, yeah, and we were like, these guys are a bunch of jerk offs. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, well, it's funny because 
And that's what I thought rock and roll was. Oh, you know? I get it. Like we were, we were all like, that's rock and roll. Like that shit sucks. Yeah, it's funny because I'm just old enough to, to, to when that started coming out, I was like, this is a very not a good representation of what of what real rock and roll is. Yeah, and I, I exactly because I knew it. But it's funny, your first you're like, what rock and roll rock sucks? And roll stupid, <laughs> yeah. So we were country guys, and yeah, exactly. So then like somebody turned us on to like you know the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and. Um, By the way, I'm oh, having Brett Michaels on here next week. Are you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> you should. It would be fun. <laughs> you might get a rose. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and later on in life, you know, now I look back on those guys, I'm like, they had some pretty cool shit. Absolutely. Like, some of them did. As a bunch of kids who grew up in the sticks like we did, listening to nothing but country, like watching these guys in their football pants and <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> no shirts, it was just like. What? But it's real easy to. It's, I, it's, I feel like it's always been real easy to see the the glue between Chuck Berry and the Everly Brothers and country. I mean, that's that, that's oh, yeah. always been so obvious, especially the Everly Brothers. That is country, you know, and Chuck too. Like all that stuff is like it's so rooted in that the same formula. And uh, okay, so hold on. You're talking to your dad about wanting to play rock and roll. He's going, "Hey, man, and how does how does that morph into?" We're going to Austin. Well, um, this was like a couple of years before Cody and I left the band. I remember like being in the band, the family band, which is Cody, me, Gary and Mickey and dad, you know, and uh, we'd been doing this for a long time. And I remember like just I just started listening to rock and roll. And I was like, hey, can we, like, I don't remember if it was a song or something I wanted to do or, or whatever. And it would have been like a, a Beatles tune or a Chuck Berry song or some shit. It right. Was, not, it was, a, not a stretch. I wasn't going to like come out and with like, you know, the latest. <laughs> I don't know, CCU2 song or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just remember dad being like, well, it's like, well, I already did that. And like, we have our thing, you know, like we're, we're, a, we're a family country Western band, you know, and it doesn't really fit into what we do. And I remember just being like, okay, that makes sense. Right. And then, uh, but, you know, a couple of years later when Cody and I left the band, for lack of a better term, you know, we just basically grew up and wanted to do our own thing. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't an I quit. No, no, not at all. It was kind of weird because, like, I made Cody tell Dad because like, Cody and I had met these other guys out in Oregon that we were playing like kind of country rock shit, and that's what we wanted to do. And uh, so that's I don't know. That's kind of ties into where what I remember like a year or two earlier than I was telling Dad I wanted to play some rock and roll and like you know I I like playing I like playing you know I was a drummer so swinging is fun you know it's fun to play swing western mm -hmm. swing and all that stuff you know but um i wanted to get out front and, and play a little rock and roll so cody and i started our own band and uh and when we did that like i made cody tell dad like like <laughs> how was, much older is cody than you he's about a year year and a half yeah a little less than a year and a hey half, big like brother irish twins <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like him and i had this idea we're like man we met these guys in oregon we're like let's go start this band with these guys but the it's like somebody's got to tell dad, you know? right? Was, when I was, was muzzy bummed, or was, or was it just a dad knowing his kids are moving on? A little of both, yeah. Same deal. Like he was bummed because like we, you know, we had a fairly successful band at that time, you know, with the kids and dad, and like we, we were doing like the fair circuit type of shit, you know. And um, and was it fun, was it edgy enough for you, or was it? I guess that's. I guess it wasn't. At, no, at that point <laughs> it wasn't. You know, at that point we wanted to do our thing, like. And, yeah. and if we had stuck around a little longer, I bet dad would have been like, okay, well, we can try to morph this into more of a country rock type of thing or something. But at that point when, you know, we were ready to fly the coop anyway. And 
Cody was like, Hey dad, we're, we met these guys out in Oregon and we were going to go out there and live there this fall. You know, who was that promoter that, <laughs> do you know the guy? That dude, that. Yeah. But I remember we we hung out all night one night at his house, mm. us and y'all, and it was late. And Gus came and goes. And Gus was hammered and goes, Jack, I need to talk to you. And he goes, I'm sleeping in the van. We're not sleeping in there. I go, What's going on? And he told me the whole story. I was like, Oh <laughs> shit! Wow. Whoops, a daisy. Because Gus had these really pretty eyes. Well, he was a. He's a handsome fella. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you say we're leaving. Yeah. So we you packed up the. Yeah. I made Cody tell dad. And uh, like you asked, dad was, you know, uh, he was definitely bummed, you know, like, because, you know, we were the, the band, you know. Yeah. And Mickey and Gary were still probably 13, 14 or something like that. I was only 17. Right. And so Cody and I left. I was 17. He was 18. We moved to Oregon, but at the same time, dad was like, you know, you know, do a thing. Yeah. I man. Was there was never any resistance whatsoever. He was like, all right, cool. You know, so we peeled out and they were always really supportive. Like still are. Oh yeah. But, you know, looking back, I was like, kind of like, yeah, I wish it, I could have softened the blow a little better. And maybe I had to talk to dad too at the same time, but you know, You're 17, Cody dude. ripped the bandaid off. And yeah, was, man. And we peeled out. That's the way it goes. <laughs> but so, yeah, so we moved to Oregon, and it was like uh, it was me, Cody. Our original band was uh, Shifty on bass, uh, Casey Pollock on guitar, and uh, this drummer, Kenan, and uh, Shifty's brother, Steve, is also playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And we were going for, like, this Eagles thing. Oh, wow. Like, three lead singers, lots of harmonies. Like, there was four guys in the band could sing right. pretty well. And so we're doing like four part harmonies and uh, like, yeah, like for lack of a better destination, we were trying to, you know, for that Eagles type of vibe. Right. Doing the country rock thing. Right. And that lasted for like six months. And like they, the, the drummer and Shifty's older brother and the manager, Charlie, were really angling for the the nashville sound you know right this is like late 90s 95 or something so i'm talking like clay walker all kind of shit yeah yeah and we're like cody me and the other two guys jazz and (laughs) oh jazz wasn't even in the band at this point um but we're just like no and shifty and casey were just like that's not what we want to do like we we just left a uh you know country western band to go do our thing and so right. our thing is going to be what we want to do like and we were pretty adamant even at like 17 that's great that old, you knew like, that no man way. yeah we were we were we never bought it for a second you know right like, even at that age because we were just like no man like <laughs> this is what we want to do and like we had the sound in our head like we knew right. what it was going to be and so long story short we made one was even the eagles thing kind of a little soft for you at the time well, yeah. Are we all doing it? Yeah, and it wasn't like we set out to be like the Eagles. It was like we wanted to do like a, it was Graham Parsons. I got you. Eagles, Everly Brothers. Uh, I got you. That country rock thing, mm-hmm. you know. It, it had nothing to do with the Nashville thing that was going on at the time. Right. And it still continues pretty much, you know. it was. We all had to fight that. Way back, you know. We thought it was the worst it was going to get. <laughs> but Well, it was the, I used to always compare that, that time of, music in nashville to 
the same thing you're talking about with the hair metal stuff. Yeah. It was, it was, it felt equivalent to me as far as what I thought, how cool it was. Right. Or lack thereof. And looking back, it's not bad. No. Some of it, you know, some of it's like, well, there's all, there's, that's the thing, man. When you get, when you look back, there's always three or four at the top where you go, wow, that, that's not like that. That's great. That, yeah, that you could do that in any era, right? Or, or it's like, oh, at least that was a good song, and they just had shitty production, or, or at least that guy was a hell of a singer. Or, yeah, you know, a lot of it's just being caught up in the technology yeah. of the day. Yeah, and the and the copycat of the day. Absolutely, you know, like whatever it was then, I don't remember, but like for a while, it was oh, we're all writing songs about sailboats. That's right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the beach, like or the, everybody's talking about t-shirts and barbecue stains, or now it's trucks, you know, or whatever. That's the, right. The latest thing is like, and that's every genre. There's know? like people yeah. laughing at, at Texas for tail for beer and and Texas and rivers and yeah. Texas. When we moved to Texas, that was the thing. Like I was like, I'm never writing any songs about Texas because like it was the same thing. I did my like, best. It's too much, too much Texas. I agree, man. Especially and, when it's uh, the copycats. Yeah. And and looking back, same deal. Like, like that's a good song. I don't give a shit what he's talking about. Like, it's a cool song. Yeah. But, you know. Now, did you ever hook up, like, the, I know y'all played b- background, or y'all were the band for Tainted Angel for Chris Wall. Yeah. Was that yeah. right when y'all got to town or a few years after? That would have been, whew, I'd have to say, like, four or five years after we got to town. Because we met Chris right when we got to town. Just because of the Northwest dad, connection? Yeah. Like, he knew dad through Jerry Jeff. And um, so we moved to town. The two people dad told us to look up were Robert Earl and Jerry Jeff. Because dad knew Robert. Because I'm pretty sure this is true. I think dad's the first guy that ever recorded one of Robert's songs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, first guy to ever cut her. He cut Willie Boy. On my birthday... I think when I was like seven, that's cool. or something, because he he was. Out I don't even know if I know that song, and I think I know all of his songs. Really, boy, Robert Earl. Oh, it's great. It's about oh. a, a horse. Uh, anyway, check it out. It's one of his earlier tunes, but he, like I'm pretty sure that's the first guy that ever cut one of Robert's tunes was Dad, and so. Oh, that's cool. And well, he's at least the first guy that ever sent him a royalty check because there's right. there's a bootleg tape that I used to have, and I don't think I still have, but that somebody gave me of Robert Earl at like a county fair somewhere back in the early 80s talking about this guy named muzzy brown cut my song he's my <laughs> hero and he sent me a check for 200 dollars. that is so cool man and so dad knew robert and and chris and so when we moved to austin we looked him up you know like we didn't have robert's number but he, we went to the uh back when you Ziegenbach Fest and Robert yeah. was signing autographs at the merch table and Cody and I went up and we're like, hey, you remember dad? His name was Muzzy. And he was like, yeah. And he was super cool. And uh, I don't know if we like got his number or whatever, but like we, at that point, we knew him and he knew us and like we. And same with Chris, you just yeah. kind of. Well, Chris, I think we had his number. Like we got down and like somebody knew Chris's number. Like, And did he hook up with Jerry Jeff? And No, we never really got into like uh Never Jerry Jeff's Jerry atmosphere. Jeff well. Yeah, no. I always obviously loved him and uh, played a few shows with him, but never like we're like tight within that circle. Right. But so Robert took you under his wing right away. I remember yeah, being je- almost jealous because I was like, God dang, man. 
right? Well, I mean, he loves these guys. Robert did, like, I would say about a year or so, or maybe a year or two into it. Like, Chris immediately, like, the way we first moved to town, Cody called Chris. Um, and, uh, like, I, we were living in an attic <laughs> in South Austin above the house that we would eventually move into. But, like, for the first six or, I don't know, five or six weeks, we were living in an attic. <laughs> Y'all had to move down to move up. For 200 bucks, <laughs> we lived in somebody's attic when we first got to town. <laughs> With a V. <laughs> Oh yeah, like had all that shit piled up. The A frame, the <laughs> you had to walk in the yeah. middle. <laughs> but uh, I remember meeting Chris, like, because the guys were all old enough to go out and drink, or at least had hey, fake IDs. And right. I was eighteen, and uh, I didn't have a fake ID yet. So like the first couple of weeks, like the guys would all go out, and they'd hit Sixth Street and get banged up, and come back to the attic and and be like three in the morning, like hey, and I'd be like. Guys have fun. This is fun. (laughs) So glad we moved down here. I'll be like (laughs) up there writing songs and shit. But one night they came back and Chris was with them. Like they went out and saw Chris and Cody went and talked to Chris. And so they came back and brought Chris and they were all trashed, you know. Dude, Chris was always so supportive, especially of young, younger talent or younger, younger artists. Well, and that's, I, I know we had, I don't think we'd met before we got here, but the first time I remember hearing about you or at least the first time I acknowledged your presence was when he talked about you in that song, uh, my old friend Jack with the beat up Ford. Yeah. And on the, uh, on Tanner Angel. Yeah. No, not, was it Tanner Angel? It was. Yeah. No. So I guess I thought I knew you before then. Yeah. But, but I remember being like, okay, he's legit. <laughs> Chris, if Chris is name dropping him, he's legit. But yeah, so Chris, like immediately, like he came down and saw us play at Lucy's because we had got, and, and this is actually when we first met him, this is way before the Lucy's gig, right? Like, like way before, I mean, like a couple weeks, but shit moved really fast when we moved to Austin. Mm-hmm. For I remember reason. that. But, um, but Chris was always like right on board. And like, and as soon as we, we got ourselves into like this deal where we had made a record with the wrong producer and it was like recorded out of phase and it sounded like shit. And we were like, didn't have the money to pay for it. Like it was one of those. Did it get released? Yeah. It was Milliken. Oh boy. (laughs) So our classic reckless Kelly, like our first huge, terrible mistake as far as like (laughs) business goes, like we made a record at Arlen with this producer who I probably shouldn't mention again, because he'd probably sue us, but a guy from Austin. Right. And, uh, wasn't really a producer but like we met him as like oh, this guy's got a really nice van and yeah, <laughs> he man. wants to produce the record type of thing he's so, gonna let us do it for 20 grand up front yeah, so we went and did this record and all of a sudden we owe Arlen like 10 grand and we don't have that kind of dough at all I mean, we can't even pay rent and uh but we had a decent record but was recorded out of phase so chris came in paid off the studio bills picked up the record put it on his label and had merle brigante uh, a great producer from here in town who yeah. produced some of Chris's shit. Um, he came in and remixed it uh, at his place. That is, that's what I mean, man. And How so cool that is was, that? That's Milliken, and that's our first record. And, and it wouldn't have come out like I don't know. We probably would have figured a way to to figure it out. But like Milliken was all about Chris. Like he he made that record happen, like big time. Like that came in. It was just like. I got a few bucks. You kids seem all right. So let's, let's fix this. And then he put us on his label and, and put it out. And that's when things really started moving. Yeah. Yeah. Like things went fucking fast back in the day. Like it was kind of, well, it was, it was, must've been like, think about the great memory that is of being the new kids in town. 
Oh, and being gosh. and having that's the thing, man, is like you guys got to come to town and be the new kids in town yeah. after you'd already been on the road 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the worst part is that when you when you're the new kid in town and you don't have your chops. Well, the band hadn't been together for 10 years, but Cody and I had. But you guys knew how to work we a stage knew, yeah. and you knew how to write and we a song. Had good guys. And and actually, I didn't know how to write a song at that point. Like I've oh, been writing songs for a couple of years, and we came down here with like, with kind of chips on our shoulder, like because we were up in Oregon playing like the road goes on forever and the party never ends and fast <laughs> train to Georgia and how to sing in town and shit like that and Sunvolt songs that nobody ever heard of, right? You know, like so we're up there playing these songs and they're like, oh, these guys are great, and they had no idea that that wasn't our shit. <laughs> Oh, so we, like, you come down here where those songs come from. Yeah, we come down to Texas, and all of a sudden we're like a cover band. Like it's like playing "Road Goes On Forever" is like playing you know, Mustang Sally, Red, Redneck Mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh shit, I better start writing for real," because like, I had written, you know, a handful of songs, and Shifty had too. But at that point, it's like we're playing four hours a night. Like I need to start writing, so I started writing a bunch at that point. But. Yeah, but you knew you knew your way around songs. Yeah, to your point, we Cody and I were like we were pretty comfy on stage, and like jazz wasn't even here yet at this juncture. But uh, everybody in the band had been on stage quite a bit, and like we were, we moved to Austin. One of our main goals to come to Austin because we never even had never been here. Um, we just wanted to like get our shit together. Like we were like, let's go somewhere where we can play like five nights a week, and get tight as a band so it's and like we'll see if, if if austin sucks or if the music scene sucks there we'll peel out in a year or two or whatever we'll give it a wing but we knew where the beatles go luxembourg uh hamburg hamburg yeah so it was kind of like austin that. was we your like, hamburg austin was like where all of our favorite musicians came from you know all of our favorite songwriters and we knew there's a great live music scene and we knew there wasn't a lot of industry down here. So we were like, well, let's go to Austin and get the sound together. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go play five or six nights a week and let's get good as a band. And then from there, we'll see what happens. Like, maybe Austin's great. You know, 25 years later, we're still here. But yeah, at that point, we were kind of like, let's give it a wing. And if it sucks, let's get a year or two of playing together and then move to Nashville or L.A. or New York or wherever. The- so Chris Wall takes you under his wing. Fronts the money to fix the record. Yeah. And then Robert Earl falls head over heels. Y'all became friends with him and he y'all went and opened shows for him. And yeah. I remember that. I remember just being like, whoa, I can't wait to really dig in with these guys because everybody that I dig seems to really dig them. It was funny because it happens like way faster than it really should have, maybe. I don't know, but like because we started playing at Lucy's on Congress. Um, no, on uh, Sixth Street, I should say, and um, we did like we were all busboys there, and it was the same back in the day. Like you give the manager the tape, like every time he came into work, like me and Shifty and Casey were all busboys at Lucy's, and we would give him the tape, and like finally he was like, "Fuck, I'll listen to one of your goddamn tapes." <laughs> <laughs> so he finally did, and then and then they had like they weren't gonna have live music there, mm-hmm. and. uh and they weren't doing so well. And they were like, well, we might start having live music. And they had Dick Dale came and played like their grand opening. Wow. And uh, and that went pretty well. So then they were like, well, maybe, we, you know, we're on 6th Street. Every other bar has live music. Maybe we should try a band. So like they were like, well, these guys will do it for nothing. So, <laughs> so we even played for nothing. 
we're like, we'll just, we just want to play. Right. It was our first like real gig in Austin. And we set up by the windows at Lucy's in Austin on stools and jazz was in town yet. Cause he was still finishing school. <laughs> <laughs> so glad in he decided to do that. <laughs> he was, he was committed to, to move down, but he was like two months away from coming down to join. And so the four of us, we set up and we played an acoustic show and people would walk by and they opened up the windows and like on sixth street on Monday night, which was sin night service industry night. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with like a, a pretty good house. Like a people just walking by and going like, Oh, what's this shit? You know, this is different. Cause we weren't, we were doing, there wasn't a lot of country rock bands in Austin mm -mm. at that joint or at that juncture. Like we were 96, 90. Yeah. 90, yeah. 96. Yeah. And I, I mean, there was a few of the guys that had done it before us, you know, the Robert Earls and, you know, Ray Wiley and Jerry Jeff. And yeah, but I guess yeah, there wasn't really there many was, uh, nightly. There was no young band on Sixth Street playing country rock. Right. That I can. And Corey Morrow actually was playing down, down the like street. Two or three doors down. I'm trying to remember what bar he was Hang at. High. Hang him high. Yeah. Yeah. I used but to play there every now and again. Time. He was doing like a him and another dude on acoustics type of thing. But that was the only I remember other that country was thing. Yeah. I remember Chris had a ball during that time too because he loved you guys. And like Pat was starting to bubble up and do well, and Corey was. And I remember it was one of Chris's favorite pastimes to get really hammered and and line out to everybody who was who was what the pecking order was as far as talent goes. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah, he, he was ruthless. But oh, luckily, I didn't live here, so I didn't have to be in the be in the lineup. Oh God, I don't know where we fell on that. <laughs> no, he loved you guys, and he would say, "I remember he'd go." Bruce has more talent in his pinky than Charlie has in his whole body, but Charlie's got charisma. Yeah, that's a total, <laughs> that's, that's a total Chris statement. <laughs> no, he really did. Like, he, he got right behind us. Like, he was great. Like, um, he was one of the reasons. Like, he got Dale Watson to come out and see us play, and he brought Bruce to see us play. Yeah. Our booking agent at the time, Davis McClarty. I had Davis at the time. Our first booking agent, yeah, was Davis, who was great. Oh yeah, and still is like great and a great drummer. Jesus, no kidding, Joe Ely. Boy. I remember when he was doing. Uh, see, the road goes on forever. Or me and Billy the Kid with Joe Ely, and they did a full-on video for it. And it was killer, man. I never and, saw that. And Davis, that's great. It was just a live studio video, and it was really cool. Davis, Davis always played. He had. I love the way he played the hi hat. Yeah, and everything else was subtle. Yeah, you know, like and, it, and every time he made a move, it was, it was a move. Yeah, yeah. he was funny because when he, uh, when I asked him to be my booking agent, this was probably before you guys. This was in '94, and I had been doing all the booking for myself, and it was mostly frat gigs and Waterloo Ice House, and right. just uh, back forty. I used to play this place yeah. called the Cloak Room. Oh, the cloakroom? Really? Yeah. They had gigs there by the Capitol? I made, yeah. Are you shitting and me? And there was a dude at the, so I, I would just play by myself. And uh, during my breaks, there was, a, there was like a congressman or somebody who was always at the bar who had narcolepsy and I'd steal his drinks. And then you just blame it on his narcolepsy. Yeah. And his drink. I was like, I don't know. That's a dick move. It was a dick move. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, man. So Davis. I remember he goes, okay, 
first, first he said, no, I'm not into it. But then after he said, no, I'm not into it, he goes, well, how much money did you gross last year? And I said, 65 grand, I think, playing like 80 shows or something. Right. He goes, well, maybe I'll, maybe, yeah. maybe we should work together. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. And uh, that was right about, about a year later when, you, when he's, that's kind of, my recollection of all of this is how fast it came on and, and how solid it was when I, when I saw you guys play and heard the music. I go, well, how'd they do that? It, it, looking back, it's hard to even track it because it was—it really did happen fast. Like, and even at the time, we didn't realize it because we I were eighteen, and and I thought we were going to be, you know, bigger than the goddamn Beatles. Yeah, you know? bigger than Jesus. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, it was just like, oh well, this is how it happened. This is you what's know? supposed this to be is, going all on. Right, cool. Yeah, we got three. Act like you've been here before. Now the place is packed every Monday night. But that's pretty much what happened. Like, and we got um one of the ladies that owned. Uh, Lucy's Susan, she knew somebody at KLBJ, and so she got us on the morning show with Dudley and Bob and Deborah at the time. Mm -hmm. And we went in there and did a morning show, and they didn't really have music, but we went in and played like a couple live songs. And for whatever reason, they loved us, probably because we showed up shit faced, like having not slept. <laughs> right. You know, young rock and rolled rollers. In, rolled in at six in the morning, having not gone to bed or something. Isn't that and funny? Like, These I, guys are great. You get, so, you get patted yeah. on the back for that yeah. <laughs> when you're young. Not so much anymore. <laughs> when you're young, it's yeah. cute. Those are, yeah. Boy, those are the days. No kidding. But yeah, so then they had us back a bunch and we were on the morning show like every couple of weeks for a while. And then the Lucy show was every Monday and it was, uh, I don't know, that thing blew up fast. And mm -hmm. I, I, I attribute that to the open windows. Like the windows were open and jazz showed up in town and we had a drummer and, but it was an acoustic set. Right. Well, was he was playing like a hi-hat and snare? Just a snare. And that was it. Like, yeah, we were all sitting on high stools and he had a snare with like on a, on a, a taller snare stand. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that, those, those Lucy shows like that's, that set it off. Like all of a sudden it was kind of like, I don't even know why, but it was the place to be on Monday nights, you know? And, but, well, yeah. And the word started getting around. It was back in those days when like the Chronicle would say something and people would pay attention to it. Or like Chris Wall would tell Bruce Robeson and he would tell somebody else. And, you know, all of a sudden there was like this thing mm -hmm. that we had like for, I don't know, two or three years, like Lucy's Monday nights was and from there on the weekends, you were getting booked from Dave, from Davis where you know, like going like to Houston or yeah, doing like um, satellite lounge, stand, yeah, satellite lounge, um, go up in Dallas and playing in Deep Ellum at like well, what was Mike Snyder's place, the the Gypsy Tea the Gypsy Room, Tea Room, and, <laughs> and opening for Chris and uh, you know like started getting like opening for like the Derailers and oh yeah. Uh, Davis, we got us to open up for Alejandro at Stubbs, and I'd never heard of Alejandro. I still remember that night. Like we were like, "Hey, you open up for this guy? He's everybody knows him around here." Y'all still play some of his songs? Yeah, I still I like her better when you vividly seeing Alejandro for the first time, and just being like one hundred percent blown away, just like holy shit, who is this guy? Never heard of him. Like, well, see, that's part of what the appeal is when you have musicianship, like you guys do and did. Is that his appeal to three chord Texas country singers is is a little more uh, advanced, you know? Yeah, his music's oh, yeah. a lot more advanced it's than that. Way more advanced than the rest of us. Yeah, like I've seen him a hundred times, and he's got 
different set of band members every time. Every single time I've ever seen him has been amazing. Like he can have a three-piece band, he can be solo, he can have, I've seen him with 15 people on stage with strings and backup singers and horns and the whole shittery. Yeah. And it's always amazing. And he's playing, you know, whatever's right, whatever the songs are right for that set or whatever. But well, like, just the appreciation of that is a different yeah. kind of animal that, that I'm sure was, was a part of why people came out on Mondays and why it happened so fast. Cause it's like these young kids, yeah, are pretty damn good musicians and understand this other kind of thing too. And we were playing a bunch of like we still had to do a bunch of covers because I was still I was writing as fast as I could like to get some of our own shit. In like the a set. song or two a week. Like we, yeah, like we I, maybe more. Like probably like I wouldn't say a song a day, but like two or three, four songs a wow. week. And, and you know, half of them were shitty, so they didn't make it. They the filled cut, space but, though. But I was putting a new song in the set every week at least probably, but. Um, eventually we, and we're doing some other, we started working on some other shit, you know, like different covers and we still kept playing like the road goes on and that kind of shit. But we, yeah, we started trying to not be that Texas cover band right off the bat. Cause we realized immediately that like, don't pigeonhole ourselves into this and become the, it's hard the when you do a band. cover and people really love your version yeah. of it. Cause it's like, I, I did a version of road goes on forever and I still get asked to do that. And I'm really? like, Sorry, guys, that's never going to happen again. Yeah. So but now I can't remember the words. I think I probably could, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember a couple of them. But we were doing so much of that that it was like, so we started, like, the covers we started branching out to were shit that people hadn't heard around here. Right. You know? Um, like, we would do, like, a U2 cover or Elvis Costello or shit like that. So we right. fill the space. But we made a conscious decision right off the bat. We were like, we got to stop doing all this Texas shit because otherwise we're going to be just another... You know that not that there's anything wrong with it but a cover bar band and that's it you know and then right. we're branded so we stopped that almost immediately that's the that's the other part about being a kid being a kid in a band and a family band and a family music coming from a musical background that kind of understanding is is next level and it normally takes people going ahead and making that mistake full on before they go oh shit yeah but the fact that you knew the difference between originals and covers and how that affected your perception. It, it is, that is funny. Cause I remember like Cody and I immediately were like, when, like the, the crowd that saw those first few shows that we would play, like the road goes on forever or, you know, George on a fast train or something. And they were like, yeah. And it was like, what a blast to play that on stage. But it's immediately after the show, Cody and I were like, we got to stop doing this shit. We, we <laughs> otherwise, gotta, otherwise, this is it. I remember guys, yelling, we got we to yeah. make them yell at some of our songs. Our guitar player at the time was like, they love this stuff. Why are we not playing this stuff? It's like, dude, this ain't going to last forever, man. Yeah. It's like, like we, we need to get our own shit going on. That's man. a quick burn. Yeah. And I, I, that's funny. I never even thought about that. Like the, the fact that we realized that. Well, because your we dad probably, did, you know, you know, your dad did originals and you saw the how, I mean, just. It's almost like metamorphosis. If we'd have stayed in Idaho, I may have never started writing songs, you know. Or osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> Musmosis. <laughs> so hold on, man. What what have you guys what over the last year, man, what have you been doing? Like where have you where'd you hang out during the pandemic? The pandemic. I was up in Idaho the whole time. The whole time? The whole time. It was great. I came back to Austin twice between March of twenty twenty and when we started back on the road, like I came back for a couple of weeks, twice, just for 
I can't even remember why. Like, like I just stayed up there because it's a perfect place to hide out. Were you at your parents' house or? No, I've got my own place out there, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like it's like literally, like nobody around. I, Mickey and Gary have places right next to me, and uh, like it's in the middle of like our county is the the second or third largest county in Idaho, and there's like four thousand people there. Like this, there's not a stoplight in Custer County. And are you up in the sticks? Like yeah. in the middle of the snow? I'm in the middle of like a big an old dried up lake bed from, you know, a million years ago and mountains all around and it's high desert. I'm like at 6,000 feet and it's high desert. And like I said, like there's 4,000 people in the whole County. So we were pretty social distanced anyway, but like it was the perfect place to go hide out for the whole thing. Cause like, did you go a little stir crazy? No, nah, no, nah, I love it. I love being by myself. And I also got my Mickey and Gary were up there quite a bit. Mom and dad are close. They're like an hour and change away. Um, after like the first couple of months of like the real hardcore lockdown, we were all really like freaked out. Um, we figured out who was taking it seriously and we'd had like basically hung out with the same, like 12 or 15 people for a year and a half. Like people I knew weren't going to be like getting mom and dad sick. Basically. Right. That was where we were at. It was like, you know, you guys come on over, but like, you guys taking this shit seriously? Cause it, it was kind of weird. Like, I didn't want to get political about it, but I was still just like, hey, I'm not going to go see mom tomorrow if you were in Boise yesterday, you know, right. like, and we we're hanging out. So it's funny, man. When I, whenever, whenever it kind of started to open up a little bit, I didn't want it to get political either, but oh, it was so funny, man. I, if I had a show somewhere, some house concert or whatever, and you leave the city limits and you have your mask on. I remember walking into truck stops like in Brady or wherever, and you get this look like, yeah. And then when and if and then if you took your mask off and did it inside the city limits, like asshole. What's this? Guess? Like it was. Exactly. It was so it's still kind of like that. It was a hot button, man. And it's funny, man. Like we've just got done with, uh, I don't know, fifty or so shows out on both sides of the country, and same deal. Like I wear my mask because, like, that's what. I guess we're supposed to do right now, which is totally cool with me. I'm vaccinated, but it's mm -hmm. like, I ain't got to tell anybody what to do. But like, if I wear my mask into a hotel and it's, if there's no sign on the door, then I know when I walk in there, I'm going to be the only goddamn guy. In there with <laughs> and, and I'm still going to keep it on, but it's like, you get that look and it's like, and it was way worse back then. Like even in like the little town where I was at in Idaho, they didn't believe in it at all. Like, oh yeah, and I'm they sure. still don't like, and you know, God bless them. They they do what they do, but it's like I was like, well, I don't know. I'm, if I go to town, I'm going to spend as little time as I possibly can. I'm going to wear a mask, and uh, I'm going to give a shit, and I'm going to get out. And, and right, uh, it was like, interesting when it, when it, when it was also a hot button issue about playing shows, and I was like, part of me cared and then the other part of me was like i've been watching people make bad decisions in front of me for 30 years yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i'm on stage i'm socially distanced and it's if they don't want to wear a mask like it's i can't control them but i also have bills yeah you have to get to the point where where we kind of like this you know we spent a year and a half hiding out you mm -hmm. know like and i i'm not gonna lie i enjoyed the shit out of 
being by myself up in Idaho for a year and a half. So I'm not going to act like I suffered or anything, but when we made a decision as a band to come back to work in June, um, we kind of had to wrap our heads around that whole deal. It was like, well, there's about half the people out there that are vaxxed and masked and believe in this shit. And there's a bunch of people and a lot of our fans, um, don't, don't want to do that. You know, they don't believe in that shit. Right. So, but at the same time, we were just like, well, we did our part, you know, like we, we've been hiding out. Like if we want to keep the bands to, to keep together without going bankrupt and you know, we, we need to start making some more money again because we run out of the auxiliary funds. Yeah, man. And so going back on the road is weird. Cause like, you know, we're playing to, to crowds. I'm sure you're the same. Like they're depending on where you go, which is about, I don't know, it, at least less than half of what we usually do where, where they are wearing masks and requiring vax cards and stuff. And then right. if you play in places where they don't, the crowds are about the same as they used to be. But our, my, my personal mindset is I'm just like, man, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. And all the guys in our band are vaxxed up. Yeah. We wear masks. We follow the, whatever the mandates are that are going around. And if you want to come out to a show that doesn't require that kind of stuff, uh, that's on you. You know, it's like, yeah. that's, that's up to you, you know, and I'm, that's as, as real as I can get about it. Cause it's just the only like person shit. in my band that's not vaxxed up and I can't tell him what to do is Pete. Really? He's just, he's <laughs> one of those guys, man. <laughs> and you can't, you can't talk. I, I mean, thought you were going to say Frenchie. <laughs> is Frenchie vaxxed? I think Frenchie is vaxxed. Yeah, he is. But Pete. Yeah. And he's like, no. No, he just doesn't. No, no. He's no always dies. been that kind of on that side of the political spectrum of like, stay out of my life. Well, you know, it's funny because like I've, I, I try to stay out of politics as much as I can publicly. You know, yeah. I certainly don't do it on stage outside of like a political song here and there. I'll make a joke. I'll make veiled right. references. Right. I don't even do that. <laughs> I don't think that's kind of fun to see what you can get away with. I like singing political songs and watch <laughs> these people that don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Sing that's a good to. one too. That's my favorite. That's the way I go, but I, I won't get up there and, and like do a big stump no. speech on stage because nobody wants to. Hear it doesn't that help shit. us. Yeah, but um, I forget what we were talking about. Uh, vax the vax. Yeah, Pete. But, but um, yeah, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. But uh, I don't know. Like it's it's uh, it's up to them, but like, it's also up to us too. Like if we don't want to play there, we we won't. Like we've done a few shows here and there where I'm like, Jesus Christ, like. This might be a super spreader, you know. Yeah, but my guys are covered, and beyond the barrier between the front of the stage and that's kind of what I mean. Like, man, that's that's up to you guys. You know, it's I mean? always been I, up to I, you. I if you want to like, drive, like drive home drunk, yeah. if you want to do illicit, if you want to cheat on your girlfriend, or like that's always been out there. Right, I can only take care of what I got. What's on stage? Yeah, and that's our that's our space, you know, and. uh overwhelmingly the venues are all about it. Like almost every place we play, like, like the sound guys and the, the crew guys and the guy who opens the door when you show up at the joint is masked up. And cause they want to stay in business, man. Yeah. And it's like, it's tough. Like, I don't know, like there's this huge worker shortage across the country. There's not a lot of like businesses are shutting down on Mondays and they didn't used to, and they're closing at nine when they used to be open till midnight. And mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of that. And there's, 
all kinds of that kind of shit. But um, like the music industry, like it's literally fighting for its life, especially yeah. the venues. Like the bands, I think will be okay because like you, we can take a few weeks off or a few months off or a year or two off, and, and be like, hey, you guys, want to get the band together? Yeah, like, and musicians have always been like roaches yeah and we're like okay yeah let's do it i was you know hanging drywall for two years but i'll play bass again you right know? but the venues if they close down that's fucking it and they you know the, even venues that are really successful have about a two-week window of yeah of money especially some of these like the the cities we play you know like you go to new york like those guys like what do you what do you think that the rent is at city winery right in new york you know or yeah I don't know the variety playhouse in Atlanta. What's their, their nut, you know, to keep right. the doors open for a month. Right. Like, it's a lot. So it's not, I think the music industry is threatened more by that than it is anything. As I will tell you this. Have you, have you noticed the, uh, the beauty of audiences now? I'm not talking about a honky tonk bar, even the, but even that too, but like the playhouses and the yeah. Heights theaters. And have you noticed how grateful there's two things I've noticed. One is how grateful people seem to be that, that you're there and that they get to be there. And two, remember when gasoline prices went from like one fifty to four bucks, rich time <laughs> when, uh, like 2005 or six. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I remember I was on when the, gas oh, on the bus was it was like we were we, we'd pull in we'd pull in at the gas station yeah. or the truck stop at like three a.m. and I'd go thousand bucks yeah <laughs> twelve hundred bucks there, okay another thousand bucks yeah it was almost like gallons per mile that's right know? it was like we were almost like to like the sh the ship version but then it, but here's what I'm talking about for, for this pandemic stuff is that when it then it went from four so it went from one fifty to four. Then when it went from four down to two fifty or three, everyone was so grateful, right? And that kind of feels like what ticket prices are going to do, like, because I I don't know about y'all shows, but our you know, if, if if a ticket price was twenty five before the pandemic, with half houses they upped those ticket prices and people got used to paying them. Yeah, well, and I, I wonder how that's going to play out. Our, I don't know about the ticket prices per se. I haven't even honestly thought about that. I know our numbers are down. Most of the places we play, especially we just did a East Coast tour, and it encompasses the Southeast and the you know up to New York and right that area and uh, the Southeast. And you know, like we play like say Atlanta, and there's you know pretty normal numbers, but you go up to New York and about a half a house, right? You know, and again, not to get too political with it, but there's definitely a correlation between the demographics and we haven't tried to raise ticket prices or anything yet or i don't know what, the what do you mean by the demographics or are you saying that in the south what, what do you say i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> again not to get too political but the red states and blue states <laughs> definitely have a different perspective on it and, that's true you know to each his own like i said i already you're a purple state with whether or not I'm going to play these shows and however you guys want to treat it on your side of the barricade is up to you. Yeah. You know, that's how we have to look at it at this juncture because like I, you know, it's up to me. I just take another two years off. I, <laughs> go, go look I at the mountains. The shit out of that. <laughs> Did you write much? 
a little bit, not a ton, not as not, much as I should have. Not as much as I thought I would have. Exactly. Yeah. Like if I knew I had like a year and a half off, who knows if I would have wrote more or less, but uh, I don't know, probably, probably the same, but like, I, there's a lot of things I, I got done during the pandemic during my time off up there. And Did like, any bad habits creep up? None that were, weren't already there. <laughs> <laughs> Did it even get exacerbated? I got lazier. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder to leave the couch. <laughs> no doubt. Especially, man, up there. That must be it must be magical without a walk outside with a cup of coffee. Oh, dude, it's the best. Like, I love it. It's I go up there as much as I can. I, I kind of consider myself a resident up there now again, like because after the year and a half of living there, for the most part, like... Uh, I mean, like, I don't know. It's just in the middle of nowhere. Like, I can ride up there, even though I didn't a lot. Like, right. I'm actually, I have a ton of ideas, and I'm going to go this winter when we get off uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go up, and I'm going to ride as much as I can because about ready for a new record and stuff. But Does Cody get in on the riding much? No. No. Um, I'm not sure why. He's like, he's never been like that. That's probably because he doesn't play guitar. But every once in a while, he's he's, he's funny, man. He's got, I can see where he might not be into it because he has such a cynical view, not cynical, but just smart ass view. Whenever (laughs) we do those, like he was the first one I ever heard go, boring. Exactly. Like, he's like, quit your touchy feely shit. I think he's, his mind is, is taken up with the business side of shit. Yeah. And it's not a knock because he's, he's the most talented musician in the band. He's the best singer I know. Like he's a fantastic musician, but he doesn't have to think about that. Like he just does that. Yeah. That shit's just natural. Um, and I think the other side of his brain where the creative aspect for writing is taken up for taking care of shit shit that matters. Yeah. Getting shit done that I'm not going to get other shit. Yeah. Yin and yang. And that's the only way I can explain it. Cause otherwise you could probably, Right me under the table. If he ever sat down and like got good at it, he'd probably be fucking great at it. I bet he'd have great melodies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. So what are y'all doing now, man? You got a record out or um make it one or no, we uh we just put out this nine eleven demos thing that came out on nine eleven, which is just uh the demos we made with we were in Arlen on nine eleven making like a demo. Oh wow. And we recorded sixteen songs on September 11th and 12th, those two days. And in 2001? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so we had those demos, and most of the songs wound up on records, but um, there's a, quite a few that didn't, and, you know, different versions of it. But those later just, they were never released or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I guess a few months ago, we just decided, like, hey, let's pull those out and mix them and, and toss them out for, like, a 20th anniversary kind of thing, just because... I don't know. They're, they're, they're cool versions. Were they well-received by your fans? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. we didn't make a big splash out of it. We didn't like. To, you can only get it streaming and stuff. You know, We might right. actually put it on vinyl just because a few people asked for it. But um, it was mostly to do something with it, mm. you know, and kind of tell our story. Everybody's got their story yeah, get them about out. Like, where you were on 9-11. And it's like, well, here's where we were recording all these songs. And there's a couple of pretty cool tunes that we were like, oh, shit, I forgot about that one. And, a couple versions were like, well, that hasn't changed much. Or that one's like, wow, that's real different. But so we did that. And uh, now we got the two, now I still call them the new records, but they've been out for a year and a half that we released right in the middle of the, right in the beginning of the pandemic, which 
two records. <laughs> not Jack one, Hawkins. but two. Not one or not. not I remember two, there were a yeah. bunch of bands. Wasn't 9-11? It was a Tuesday. Yeah. And that was when records came out on Tuesdays. Records came, Robert Earl and Ryan. The, uh, Ryan. Uh, you know, the guy who everybody loves Whiskey now. Town. Adams. Adams, yeah. That's Shh, it. You can't Ryan say don't say it three times. <laughs> <laughs> and the derailers had one. Yeah, but Robert Earls, I remember, was the one that I remember it was going to be coming out. Yeah. And uh, they, I don't know if they postponed it or if it just probably didn't, because how could you postpone it? Because like you didn't know until that morning. That's right. But it was similar for us in the pandemic, although we had a lot of plenty of time. But we were just like, well, you know, we'd already recorded the record a year and a half before, like, and two records. And it was just like, we need to put something out because we were also like, we're not going to be working for a while. So right. like, maybe make a few bucks off of this thing. So we put it out in May of 20. Makes you realize how important it is for bands like us to be on the road anymore. Yeah. When new music like comes. That's well, the only, the only way to make money yeah, for sure. And better. I mean, it's, I was talking to my brother about this the other day and I've talked to other musicians too. Like, aren't we lucky that, we spent all those years when you could sell records, still just focusing on the road. Yeah, I know, and it's always yeah. been, it's always been the only. I've I've made ninety percent of my income on the road for thirty always. years. Always, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's no different, and it's kind of always been the same for musicians that don't go platinum. Well, and it's kind of the same for us. Like when we were on Sugar Hill, God bless them. Like I, we probably sold. I and mean, this is I'm gonna throw out a bullshit number right out of my ass. So I have no idea what the actual number is, but. With Sugar Hill, we probably sold like maybe 30,000, 40,000 records or something, right. you know. And we didn't see a goddamn dime. Nothing. You know, so it's the same. It's always the been same the same. As <laughs> that's always been the same. Like, we're still not making any I would go that, money. Go back record. to the guys in the 50s, yeah. the 60s. Like, the music business has always been, if you don't like the deal, man, go back home. Yeah, exactly. They just figured out a new way to keep all the money, which is Spotify. I'm the bald guy. Yeah. That fucking guy's name is. Um but the difference is now it's like COVID comes along. It's like, oh, well, it's cool. We'll still make money on the road. And COVID's like, the fuck you are. <laughs> yeah, that's the Achilles <laughs> heel of this deal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we've had to be pretty goddamn creative. Well, you always have been, man. But, I mean, I, I love hanging out with you guys, your band, your brothers. And the reference I made to us being roaches is like you, you've always been creative about how to stay alive and keep moving and not get stuck in a corner with some boot coming up your ass. You know, it's yeah. like you guys have always been the band that goes, just like you guys have always, we've always talked about this together, about how we work. Yeah. Well, and that's, well, that's actually, that's always been our thing. Like we want to make a living doing this, you know, and whatever it takes to do that is that's the, you know, the priority has always been the music, you know, make music that we're proud of and hopefully we'll be proud of in 20 years or 50 years or whatever. Um, and then the second thing is like, can we make a living doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, and not, not like, can we make a million dollars doing this or be rock stars? Like, but can we make a living? And that's been like our business model. And I don't know, maybe it's not the best business model. Ever. <laughs> maybe we could have been a lot, a lot more successful, but well, it's, that's what we've always tried to do is like make good music and make a living doing it. And like, we still can do that because we've, that's what our crowd expects and that's what we're fucking looking for, you know? Yeah. 
when you're a band like you guys, the amount of popularity that you have, I've always thought this is, is, is more cultural than anything else. Cause if you, cause if a band like you guys, in order to fit in with the times, and I went through this for a couple of years <laughs> in order to fit in with what's going on, where the real big money is, you, you got to kind of put on a suit that's not that comfortable. Yeah. And that's one thing we'd never have done. I and mean, I don't know, looking back, I'm not, I'm not sorry. We never did. You shouldn't be, you know, cause it's like when we first moved to Austin, like the first few years, like we got hit up by every single label manager publisher yada yada out of mostly nashville and mm -hmm. in la and um i don't know we i think we were probably a little cocky back in the day but uh we, we also we were just like no we're not doing any of that shit like and we weren't like shunning the deal but we wouldn't give them like they would be like how oh, so if you guys just change this one little thing or maybe cut this track or whatever like it might be different and we're just like nope and you know, looking back on that, like we could have played ball a little bit, but at the same time, like, I don't know what that would have done to change the trajectory of where we are now. Yeah. And if we'd have lost fans or if we'd have lost our, our compass or, or whatever. So I don't really regret not taking those opportunities like in the day, but we also maybe set ourselves up to be like, the band that wouldn't play ball, <laughs> you know, like, well, I, think, I think we probably got a reputation pretty quickly that they were like, don't even talk to those guys. Cause they ain't going <laughs> to, it's funny how that works, man. You said maybe we could have played ball a little bit. And from my experience is that you don't play ball a little bit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like you can't just get in there and next thing you know, you got two balls. In your yeah. Hands. Then you're like, okay. <laughs> so it's just a different, next? then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, let's call this for now. Thanks, Willie. <laughs> I, I love you, man. It's great Cheers, seeing man. you. Thanks for having me. Ending with a blowjob reference. I like <laughs> I it. I love it. Hey, have you got time to do uh, Oh yeah, five minutes of the, my questions from the hat? Absolutely. I got to run out to the truck and get their bag of questions. All right, cool. <laughs> All right. I just told oh, you got a bag. I got a bag. It's not. I can put them in a hat, though. I should probably do that for the show. Do you want me to do it vertical or horizontal? Let's go horizontal. Okay. Like a fucking professional. Start recording right now, actually. So I can just so, oh, let's keep up. Because you're the first guy. You're the so guinea pig. I'm the guinea pig. <laughs> Are we rolling? Yes. Rolling. Okay. So, episode one. <laughs> guinea pig. I don't even know what I'm calling the show. I think I'm going to call it Questions from the Hat. And luckily, Jack has a hat here. And I've got I've written down a bunch of random questions. All right. All right. Now. This is, a, this is an unconventional interview. And like I said, you're my guinea pig. So basically, you can draw as many questions as you want from the hat. You can draw one or two, ten. And then we just discuss. They're actually not even questions. They're just topics. And we'll discuss. This is, I like this topic. That's a blank. Oh, <laughs> I wanted you to write one for me. So when we get done, I'll have you write a question to put in a hat for the next guy. Okay, so. Best Tom Petty album. Perfect start. What a great first question for this. Yeah. It's either Damn the Torpedoes or is it Wallflower? Wildflowers. Wildflowers. Yeah, Wildflowers. And I think there's an, there's an argument that they both can be the best because 
one was in 1980 and one was in 1996 or five. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say, well, how flowers is the, the masterpiece. Um, I'd actually go with full moon fever. Oh, personally. with, uh, Jeff Lee. free, free falling. Yeah. And all that Jeff ELO Lee's stuff. First, that's the first record he made. I think without the rest of the heartbreakers and with Jeff Lynn. Okay. There's something about that first record, man. Just like when you guys were first a band showing up to KLBJ hammer in the morning and screw it and fuck it all. And, and, and we're just here to be, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band kind of vibe. Yeah. There's some kind of exciting thing about that, that we all get to feel like, I got to feel that as you know, in my early mid twenties too, like mm-hmm. where you, you don't even know what's happening. You're just running as fast yeah. as you can. You don't realize that that was the time of your life. <laughs> yeah, man. That's what I love about that record. <laughs> like, I don't know if we're using these or not. I'm sorry. But uh, we, um, yeah, at that point, it was like, you didn't realize that that was the best it was ever going to get. You just were looking down the road like, oh, man, if this is this great now. How great is Look it going to be? Look at all this chocolate. Let's eat it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that. So, uh, Damn the Torpedoes is, is the young cow saying let's run down there and fuck a cow and wildflowers is the one the the old cow old bogo no let's walk down and fuck them all <laughs> perfect all right all right draw another one best advice ever received always be yourself yeah unless you're an asshole <laughs> failure <laughs> That's pretty good advice. <laughs> you uh, well, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You've always been yourself, but you're also an <laughs> asshole. So uh, that's great. Next, <laughs> you can draw as many as you want. You can draw. I got one ten. more. Like, do one more, and then we'll get we'll we'll get out of here. Favorite beetle. Who's your favorite beetle? This is tough, man. That's a tough one because we all know who our least favorite beetle is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say Ringo. <laughs> I'm not. I didn't say anything. I love Ringo. I do too. <laughs> All said, the the one I most identify with, not because of the talent level, but just because of his kind of his take. I always loved Lennon's ability to just piss on things while also admiring them and and understanding and respect of the talent, but also being able to be very irreverent, like "fuck you." Yeah. So that's that's a good answer, and I love it that Paul's still like a kid and. George was most underrated, but yeah, Lennon, Lennon was my guy. All right. That's a good answer. Thank All right. You. That's been questions I, from the I hat. Like questions from the hat. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> Thanks for being my guinea pig. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a good one. All right. Yeah. And I, that's totally random. <laughs> <laughs>